Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host, and today I have the CEO of Dyslexia Scotland. As you know, we're based in Scotland, so Dyslexia Scotland has a place in my heart, and it's great to have Cathy McGee, the CEO of Dyslexia Scotland, with us today. Hi, Cathy. Hi, Darius. How are you? I'm thank well. you very much for having us today. Yeah. Oh, thank you for coming and joining us. I know that you're you're busy, and uh, really appreciate you spending the time telling us a bit of the backstory um, uh, about the story of Dyslexia Scotland. Well, thank you very much. Really, really, really delighted to, to have been invited. Um, so, um, Dyslexia Scotland goes back um, a long, a long way um, in various different forms. Um, it all started back in 1968 um, with um, a couple of parent support groups um, who wanted to make changes um, because of the impact they saw dyslexia was having on their children. Um, and dyslexia was very different, um, very differently understood in those days. Um, so it really started off. Um, with groups of volunteers who pulled together as volunteers wanting to, to make changes. Um, and over the years, there were more and more um, uh, groups that formed in this way, um, and gradually um, it became um, kind of clear that there needed to be you know, more of a coordinated uh, group of organizations. Um, so over the years, these different groups developed. Um, they were known as, as branches at that stage. Um, and um, more recently, there were two organisations. One was called the Scottish Dyslexia Trust, and the other was called Dyslexia in Scotland. Dyslexia in Scotland was the groupings of the branches, so that was mainly the parent support groups. And uh, Scottish Dyslexia Trust was um, a trust that was uh, actually gave grants to organisations that were working to help people with dyslexia. Um, oh. And in the early sort of 2000, 2002 or so, I think, um, Jackie Stewart, um, who uh, many will know as, as, as a three-time Formula One uh, racing driver, um, who himself is dyslexic and was um, identified with dyslexia in his 40s when his own children were beginning to be identified. Um, he was very keen to get involved and actually looked, you know, from an, as an outsider looking in, um, couldn't really understand why there were two organizations in Scotland uh, working for the same cause. So it was really around about that time that the two organizations began to come together um, and uh, there was actually a merger in 2004. Um, uh, which involved a, um, a launch at the Scottish Parliament um, with the then First Minister. So that was kind of really when Dyslexia Scotland came about and became the charity that it now is. Um, mm. the have, so that was in 2004 to 2005. Um, we have around about that time, and I don't know the exact timing for the exact details, but around about that time, we had, um, you know, initially one member of staff, then two, then three. Um, and for a long time, it was three members of staff that were working uh, mainly um, based in Stirling, but mainly um, coordinating and pulling together the branches that there were um, who had, you know, become part of, of the organization as part of the, the, the merger, um, but also um, running a helpline 
um, and supporting those those branches. Um, so how do the branches work? Well, all of these, these branches are volunteer-led, um, and uh, I, I came into post in 2007. Up until then, there had been a part-time chief executive, and then there was a gap for a little while, of, of, of a year or so. And I came in as the first full-time chief executive in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. And at that time, there were nine branches, and they were all run by volunteers, um, and what we find is when we say branches, people often think that we have, you know, that those branches um, are like bank branches and they have, you know, a premises and it's a place where you can actually go. But actually, um, a lot of the, the, the branches um, are um, are basically run by, by volunteers, often in their own homes. Um, they have committees that meet on a regular basis. Um, and in terms of the public, what they do in terms of supporting uh, members of the public, they tend to have um, open meetings um, once every couple of months or so in a, a community building of some sort. So that might be a, a community centre, it could be a school, it, in some cases it's a college, um, in some cases, um, it's a, um, a, a, an organization. So, for example, our Edinburgh branch um, hold, now holds their meetings in IKEA, uh, who yes, very kindly I've been to them. Right? That's <laughs> yes, my you've home, been to them yourself. Yes. That's your home base, so you'll know them well. Um, so, yeah. the, so the, the branches all operate um, in, in very different ways. And back in 2007, um, uh, we didn't have at that stage, um, we had the office staff, um, and they were, they were very good at kind of giving that support to the volunteers. Um, and as you say, it was very much kind of top, uh, you know, sort of bottom up organization. So it was the volunteers that were driving, um, the organization. It was a big task for all the volunteers involved to be running their own branches and to be running the organization as well. Um, and so, you know, what was recommended was the sort of clarity of governance. Um, so we did a kind of health check review. We worked with all the volunteers in the branches and we kind of set out a, a slightly different structure so that there was still a council. So that's a members representative council, which included all the chairs, the volunteer chairs of the branches. Um, but there was a, a board of directors um, as we, we are a charity. So they're the ones that are the, the kind of governance who helped govern the organization. And the council actually advises the, the, the board um, on kind of issues that affect people at grassroots level. So if I was to summarize all that, the first one is in the beginning, it was all these um, local branches. And then would you say Jackie Stewart was one of the sort of main triggers that sort of brought together these two different groups? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, he was yeah. a, a driving force, <laughs> pardon the pun. Um, and, yeah. but very much so. I think he was, he was very, 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 um, instrumental at that stage in trying to kind of, as, as someone who was looking in from the outside, wanting to, to make dramatic changes in Scotland, um, in terms yeah. of supporting people with dyslexia. Um, it, it was really that that was a driving force at that stage. So it was a kind of, si- scenario that so many people probably experience where you know they they discover about dyslexia then they go out to get more information and then they go my goodness why is there not more about this or something like that and then absolutely they get involved absolutely. in or it, it, to help the next generation and and Jackie Stewart's followed that kind of pattern as well as the parents within dyslexia Scotland them, themselves yeah 
I think that's a very good summary. It's absolutely, I think, you know, sort of as, um, uh, you know, and his, his situation is very, very much the case, you know, as he began to realize, um, you know, when his own children were being identified that he himself, that that's what he'd been facing. Um, you know, he kind of, it, it, it made, uh, it made him realize or it made sense of an awful lot of the, the difficulties that he had had as a, as a child growing up and well into adulthood um and you know and that then i think kind of really kind of um uh sort of fed or fueled the kind of passion that he has had uh, ever since in terms of you know wanting to ensure that other people do not uh, in his words he certainly talks about that he suffered as a child as a result of dyslexia yeah. um and i think you know there are many parents who 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 do experience the same and you know i think um we're very lucky that we have um a huge amount of very very passionate volunteers um so we have uh, around about 200 volunteer roles nationally and locally um and uh, a very high proportion of those volunteers are themselves dyslexic or certainly parents um uh of of dyslexic children in some in many cases both um and it is that kind of personal interest um that has driven them um to yeah. really want to make changes um and you see that again and again you know the the kind of i suppose you know the the journey that 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 parents are going through in terms of um trying to work out what dyslexia means um trying to kind of you know work through that maze of what to do, um, trying to find out where to go for help, and then trying to actually kind of put in place some of the kind of strategies for their children. Um, that is um, sort of a very, very common um, uh, kind of driver for people that, that helps them to, 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 you know, sort of to find out where to go for help um, and then to want to help others to do the same. Yes, yes. Now, we have an international group of listeners, America, mm -hmm. Australia, mm -hmm. yeah. all over the world, South Africa, all, all different places we get messages from and so forth. And, and many people look to Scotland, like say for in Australia, you know, they say, oh, mm -hmm. well, like my daughter, my, my, my sister and my nephew and niece are in um, Australia and they're dyslexic. Mm -hmm. And they're like, gosh, it's so different between Australia and the UK. And they're like, in the UK, everyone knows about dyslexia and dyslexia is accepted. And Australia, they kind of push it away and so on. And, and sometimes people can build up um, an expectation of what it's like in Scotland or what it's like in America. And in a way, this podcast, there'll be people listening, wondering What's it actually like in Scotland? And in many ways, you can answer some of those questions as a CEO of a Dyslexia Scotland, as it were, organization mm -hmm. for Scotland. So if you've got any kind of insights on that as we go through the podcast, please kind of share them where it might be a, a compare and contrast if you know it, or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is my kind of segue towards, you know, what was the challenge so you started in 2007. So let's say mm -hmm. over the last 10 years, mm -hmm. what has been the main challenges that Dyslexia Scotland has faced? Kind of mission is to inspire and enable anyone with dyslexia, regardless of their age and abilities, to reach their potential in education, employment and day-to-day -day life. Um, and um, as you'll know, one in 10, at least one in 10 of the population are, are thought to be dyslexic. 
So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a huge, talking about half a million people in Scotland, um, who, um, you know, potentially could, could, could be seeking, um, advice or support or help, uh, around dyslexia. Um, and, uh, I think one of the kind of key challenges throughout, throughout dyslexia Scotland's life, if you like, um, has been, um, about, um, meeting the challenge of, of, um, trying to provide support for uh, as many people, <laughs> uh, for everyone that has dyslexia or everyone who has dyslexia who wants the, uh, who wants support at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, connected to that is the capacity. So um, we started off, so in 2007, uh, there were four members of staff um, and there are now eight members of staff. Um which um doesn't you know still a small organization and may- many people say um when they get to know what we do and when they you know sort of come to our ev- events and so on many people s- sort of say that they expect us to be a much bigger organization and to have a, a much um larger staff team than we have um mm-hmm. so and a lot of people sort of I've heard people talking about us punching above our weight um and um so i think the challenge within that is is um you know wanting to always having the the potential to do more um and always having to kind of think about the capacity that we have to deliver um so uh, you know the dyslexia covers all settings it's lifelong it's not only about education um and so we're potentially talking we're, we're talking about you know dyslexia in a whole range of different settings and some of the statistics around dyslexia <clears throat> so for example i mentioned the one in 10 um but there are also uh, it's thought that there are at least 60 percent of prisoners are dyslexic um on the other end of the spectrum um it's it's Thirty-five percent of entrepreneurs in America and twenty-five percent of entrepreneurs in Britain are dyslexic. Twenty-five um, uh, percent of farmers are dyslexic. So uh, there's lots of statistics that I'm throwing there, but you know the, the purpose of that is really just to show that um, that where if someone is is identified and supported um, early, um, and um, and that doesn't necessarily mean young although ideally it is for them to be identified um as as young as they can um but if someone is identified as early as they you know as as soon as they kind of you know begin to realize that they're experiencing difficulties um the difference that that can make in terms of them being able to develop their own strategies understanding their own dyslexia being able to speak to others about it and to ask for help and to know what works for them the outcomes can make such a difference. Um, and so you see the sort of, you know, the, 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 the people, the dyslexic people who, who become uh, successful, who there are many who are famous, there are many who are successful in their own um, kind of areas, uh, compared to those who um, struggle because they're not identified or not properly supported. Um, and that, I think, is the kind of ongoing challenge for us um, because, we have to try and sort of work within the the kind of realities of 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 the the kind of you know staffing and volunteer capacity levels that we have um but we know that there's always going to be kind of need for for more so i think that's the kind of ongoing challenge um and we're constantly kind of you know getting requests which sound really exciting um and you know that we're really really keen to do and we have to kind of just constantly think well yes 
can we do that? Is is you know what? Where does that fit with what we've said we'd do over the next three years? You know, how can we actually manage this? Um, and I think that's just a, a sort of ongoing challenge, which all charities and all organisations will will experience. Um, and I, 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 but I think with dyslexia, because it goes right across so many different areas of life. Um, uh, you know, you were talking about working with people in the workplace. Um, in uh, in uh, different settings where people are looking for work, um, in prison settings, um, in schools and colleges, um, and in day-to-day life. So it's quite a broad breadth of different types of um, kind of queries that come that can be can come out of the blue that you've maybe never had experience of before, and you have to sort of try to find try to find ways of supporting people within those settings. Yes, because like if you narrow it down to the children that are in school that are learning to read and learning to study and in high school, then you probably down at 50,000, 25,000 children currently at that kind of key stages. But then Mm -hmm. when you expand it to include everyone in, in Scotland that might be dyslexic or could be realistically be dyslexic, there's 500,000, 10 times as many, all age ranges. So that really does, making that commitment to expand the scope really does expand the, the challenge, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, what what, what we have, have you know, over over the years, um, you know, we, 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 when we develop a sort of three-year plan, we, 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 we have quite a, an extensive consultation process with members and parents and really anyone that's in and adults and you know all sorts of stakeholders um about what they would like to see us do over the kind of coming three years um and um you know often people say we'd like you to do x y or z um and often we're already doing that but when it either you know we haven't been able to publish publicize that or you know because people are there's always people who are new to dyslexia because they may only start to to think about it even when their own child becomes dyslexic, for example. Um, so there's always new people coming coming into the the frame, if you like. Um, yes. And I think um, because of that, it's a kind of ongoing kind of um, there's an ongoing need to publicise what we do and promote what we do. So partly it's that people don't know what we do. Um, so they don't know the services. So therefore, they say we'd like to have, you know, we'd like to have, uh, you know, sort of more information for more training for teachers, more resources. Um, there are a lot of those things which we already provide, but they they haven't understandably don't know about them. So part of it is the promotion, yeah. but also part of it is about, um, uh, you know, maybe not being able to provide uh, the service in in. In every area of Scotland. So, um, I yeah. mentioned that in 2007, we had nine volunteer led branches. Um, we now have 18, um, volunteer led branches. So huge amount of, uh, you know, a huge increase, uh, in terms of the, the support we're able to, to offer at a local yes. level. Um, but there are still inevitably, you know, a lot of areas where, which are not covered. Uh, so it may be that people want the service that we do provide in other areas, but we're not able to provide it in, in, in their okay. area. Um, there are s- some of the ways that we've tried to address those challenges include, you know, a lot of the kind of services that we provide 
to anyone wherever they are. So, you know, that might, our, our helpline is a, a telephone and an email service. So anyone can call our helpline. It doesn't matter where they live. Um, Could we drill we down into some sure. of those services just now? So let's go yeah. a bit local here for people in Scotland who are listening. They mm -hmm. might be thinking, ah, podcast on Dyslexia Scotland. What do they actually do? So why don't we um, just go through some of the services you do on a national scale as mm -hmm. Dyslexia Scotland and then you know, give people an idea of how it breaks down into local areas. Okay, so so nationally, um, our sort of uh, we have a helpline, and um, so that's open Monday to Friday, um, at ten to four thirty, and then on Friday, ten o'clock till four o'clock. Um, and people can also uh, contact us through email. Uh, I have, we have a helpline email address, and we also have a web chat. So people, um, if if our web chat is on. They might be um, in an open plan office, for example, and might want to kind of contact us without speaking. Um, right. So, you know, perhaps they're trying to find something on our website and they can't find it. So we have a web chat service as well. What um, do they so phone that, that, a helpline for? What sort of things do people tend to use it for? Yeah. Well, um, it's a very good question. The most common reason why people phone uh, the helpline is uh, to ask about assessment. Um, so around about 45% of the calls are about assessment and that's um, across ages. So it could be parents phoning about how, how to ask about how their children, how to get assessed. It could be adults, it could be employers, it could be teachers. Um, so a whole range of different people might be calling about that assessment. But the, the kind of general thing is, you know, what is dyslexia? How, what happens? Uh, you know, how do you actually get identified? Why do you need to be identified? Um, and what are the benefits if, if you are? So that's one of the most common reasons. Um, the second most common reason would be just general information about dyslexia. Um, uh, people also phone about, um, our tutoring service and also phone most commonly about for, for legal advice. Um, so the, they tend to be the most common reasons why people uh, call us. Great. Um, Great. In terms of who calls us, it's 60% of our callers are parents and round about 20 to 25, it varies from year to year, are adults with dyslexia or who may have dyslexia. And then the remaining tend to be um, others so that might be employers, teachers, uh, service providers, um, anyone really, line managers who want to know more about dyslexia. So we always say you that children calling is, you. Um, not many, no. Um, we yeah. tend um, it tends to be more parents. Um, but what we do have is we have um, a website which we launched at the end of 2017, uh, which is specially for children and young people with dyslexia. Um, so right. that's for children and young people aged uh, eight to eighteen, um, and it's it's with with we, as far as we understand, it's the only website in in the world that we know of, uh, which is specifically for dyslexic young people. Um, so What's it called? We hope it's called Dyslexia Unwrapped. We'll put it into the show notes as a link. Well, if you're listening, um, just uh, we'll put it into the show notes here as a, as a link, so you can click straight through. So we've got the helpline. 
And we've got this website for children and teenagers. We've got um, our own website, um, so Dyslexia Scotland. Um, so that website has a, a wide range of information, including um, some downloadable leaflets. So we have about 38 uh, leaflets about dyslexia. So they're kind of in different uh, groups. So there's, there's information for parents, there's information, general information about dyslexia, there's information for teachers, uh, for employers, for lecturers, um, and for uh, a whole range of information about study skills. Um, and there are some of those leaflets have already been translated into different languages. Um, but we have uh, a toolbar on all three of our websites, and I'll explain about the third website in a minute, um, which um, uh, which gives people the um the option to be able to translate uh the information on our website into a, a wide range of different languages um but specifically we have got uh, our what is dyslexia leaflet is translated into gallic and polish as well um so there's a lot right. of information um uh on on our website and also related uh, social media networks so we have an active facebook and twitter page uh, we have Instagram, which is linked to Dyslexia Unwrapped, um, and we have another Twitter also linked to Dyslexia Unwrapped, um, and we have a blog. So there's quite a, a, a range of different ways in which people can access us through uh, online uh, and through social media. Um, we have a tutor service, an assessment oh, you service. You forgot to mention the third website. <laughs> Sorry, the third, the third website. website. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> um, the third website is um, the Addressing Dyslexia Toolkit, which is a website that we manage, um, which is for teachers. Um, and uh, that is a website that was um, funded by the Scottish Government and is managed by an expert working group, which we manage. Um, so there's a wide range of information on that website for teachers um, to help them to know uh, what to do in terms of identifying dyslexia in schools in Scotland. It's linked to Curriculum for Excellence, which is a Scottish curriculum for those outside Scotland. Um, and um, there's a wide range of different resources, templates and forms, uh, as well as advice um, and, and video links on that website as well. Um, okay. So that's for any, any, any uh, teachers and early years workers who are working with pupils from three right up to 18 years old. This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organise yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. So three websites, one for children, Dyslexia Unwrapped, yep. 8 to 18, one for parents with tons of downloadable PDFs. Parents and, then and one adults. For an adult, sorry. For adult. anyone, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and then employers. one for um, teachers. Teachers. Which actually, maybe let's go down that route of adults. I mean, let's pause for a minute because um, when we've talked in the past, Kathy, you, you've mentioned the importance of transitions mm -hmm. with adults. Often adults go through certain transitions and those transitions can throw up some difficulties that makes them realize that it's dyslexia. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about that? Because I find that quite intriguing. Yeah. So um, many people, and uh, uh, something I, I should have mentioned under the challenges is, is I think uh, some of the myths around dyslexia 
um, are about and assumptions are that dyslexia is something that uh, only affects children um, and uh, you know while they're, while they're learning. Um, it is lifelong and it is also hereditary. Um, so and there are many uh, and also uh, another of the myths to do with dyslexia is that it's only about reading, writing, and spelling. So often people assume if someone can read and write and spell, um, whether or not that's, you know, regardless of the kind of speed at which they can do it and the kind of accuracy, um, they might assume that, well, they wouldn't even think that someone was dyslexic. Um, and there are, there are lots of uh, instances where um, uh, adults, young people, um, people in later stages of their lives um, do not, have not realized, have not been identified as having dyslexia. Um, so that could be that someone has been able to cope um, or to, you know, get by at school. So it's never been something that, you know, perhaps they have been able to kind of read and write and spell. They've learned that reasonably well. Uh, they've kind of been just under the radar. Um, and and so, that, so their dyslexia has been missed. Um, or it may be that they have only discovered that when they're sort of well into their Secondary school, um, and when, it, when they're just about approaching exams, um, which obviously is a, is 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 a bad time to be assessed, um, because you know it, it, it's harder to, to develop coping strategies at that stage. Um, but also, we hear many stories of people who have not realised they're dyslexic till they get to college. In some cases, till they get to university, and in some cases, uh, when they get to PhD level. Um, so um, there's there's that side, but also many people who, who leave school um, and who are either working or not working, and who realise begin to realise that they're dyslexic because of some transition or change in their lives, which has made them kind of you know come in touch with someone who has been able to say actually have you ever thought that you might be dyslexic um, so there are there are many kind of aspects of dyslexia um, such as processing or short-term or working memory or organizational skills sequencing all of which might have a, a bigger effect or impact on their ability to uh, carry out day-to-day -day tasks than their literacy um, difficulties um, so um, because of because of that, you know, you may often find, and we get calls to our helpline about this, um, people who are in a in a job um, who are, who might be struggling in certain aspects of the job, um, but doing well in other aspects. So the strengths of their dyslexia are kind of enabling them to do really really well in certain parts of their work. Um, but there's maybe bits which they are really struggling with that they perhaps avoid. Um, and uh, they, they may be in a situation where their line manager is kind of seeing that there's a kind of inconsistent kind of performance. Um, so we sometimes get calls to our helpline at that stage when they've perhaps been given a warning of some sort. Um, mm. they, they or their employers do not realise they're dyslexic and therefore support has not been put in place. Um, and um, so that, that that's that's a, a sort of fairly common scenario. Um, uh, and in other cases, it may be because um, a, a parent um, like Jackie Stewart is beginning to realise that their children have got, are having difficulties at school and it's only once they begin to drill down into what that means that they see the similarities to, to, to their own experience. Um, so now, that, what I that, found could be, that could be common. In that, what, what, what I find interesting in that is that personally, I didn't find out I was dyslexic until I was 35. 
I went to university for a second time and I got identified there. And mm -hmm. sometimes adults can think, oh, well, there's no, you know, real benefit from, you know, dealing with dyslexia or taking the time to think about it because, you know, that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It only really affects you in school. But then you realize, gosh, you know, a lot of the things that keep tripping me up are down to some practical things that you can do once you know it's dyslexia. I mean, could mm -hmm. you say a little bit more about that? Because I think some people think, oh, yeah, well, it's very nice to know that you've got dyslexia and it's not just you being stupid or lazy or careless or um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. scatterbrained or whatever. It, there's, there's a reason. But there's also solutions, isn't there, even for adults? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and these are really important points. Um, you know, it may well be um, to... We have three adult networks, um, and um, quite a lot of the time, people who come to the adult networks for the first time maybe um, are, 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 have just just found out they are dyslexic. Um, there can be a whole range of different emotions attached to to, to, the, to that discovery, um, uh, and some people will say, you know, that they it, it's it's a huge relief to them, um, you know, that for the first time they've they've, they've understood why. They have felt different or why they've learned differently. Um, and for many people say it's just been, it's, it's like opening a door to a whole range of different, um, ways of, um, addressing, um, whatever difficulties they have, um, uh, and beginning to explore what works. And sometimes they may realize that they've developed their own strategies without realizing, um, but that they can build on those, uh, in terms of solving certain kind of, uh, things that they find particularly, uh, difficult. Um, some people will, um, you know, find that they will want to retrain or uh, change uh, the, the work they're doing. Um, so, so sometimes there can be anger involved because they realize that they're in a job which is not playing to their strengths. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and, 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 and in other cases, they, 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 they may realize that, but, um, then through the, the kind of next process of identification and workplace assessment, um, you know, if they do then share with their employers that they are dyslexic and that, you know, that they want help with sort of finding what works for them, um, then that can really turn things around, um, you know, by, you know, getting support in the workplace, which will help them with, for example, proofing, um, you know, proofing kind of um, reports and so on um, but but also kind of helping them to, to, to do the things that they know that they're good at and really kind of building on their strengths rather than actually focusing all the time on, on the things that they do uh, do less well um, certainly in terms of I suppose kind of the support that, that can be offered there's, there's a lot of support out there um, you mentioned assistive te technology I think earlier on um, so there, there, there is a lot of um, support um, from organizations such as Call Scotland who, who provide fantastic help in terms of IT support for anyone with, with, with learning difficulties. Um, but we also have a, a career development service. Um, so we work with adults with dyslexia, um, who are either in work or seeking work, um, who, who want support or coaching to help them actually sort of build on their strengths and, and, um, you know, maybe sort of, you know, and, 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 and kind of have career guidance. Um, uh, and we also have a tutor list. Uh, so we have, um, around about, we have around about a hundred tutors on our list. Um, some of whom, uh, tutor adults and some of whom tutor, um, children and young people. Um, 
and um, and, and what we do with, with that service is we recruit the volunteer, uh, we recruit the tutors. Uh, the tutors, uh, we make sure that they kind of you know have got the qualifications required uh, to be a dyslexia tutor, and then uh, they go on a list, and parents or adults get in touch with them, um, and then they basically kind of engage the tutor. So they do pay the tutors, um, but there are many um, adults and parents who really kind of find that that kind of one-to-one support really helpful in helping to uh, their child or the adult to kind of get the, the sort of work through. Um, you know what they find difficult, and to find solutions and, and strategies that help them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I the way I explain this to some folk, dyslexia is a bit like um, a dyslexic brain is a bit like the difference between an automatic car and a manual car. Mm-hmm. They're both cars. They're both decent engines, but one's a stick shift, and one's uh, you just put it into drive. You make the choice to mm-hmm. put it into drive. And you press the accelerator and the brake, and you still got to drive. But other people, when it comes to um, learning the systems of reading or studying or dancing or whatever it is, they often need it broken down into systematic steps and to practice going up and down those gears, and then they become automatic. But they're a manual stick shift. You know, in a world where most cars are automatic, say, you turn up with a teacher and they're they're used to an automatic car. Once you get someone like one of these dyslexia tutors who are amazing to hop into the car with you and just show you how to do the stick shift, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. suddenly you look at the car and you go, there's nothing wrong with my engine. There's nothing wrong with, okay, I might have a smaller seating capacity or a smaller boot, a smaller working memory or processing speed. But your IQ is still powerful, etc. You just Absolutely. aren't getting into the full range of your gears. And some of these tutors, well, all these tutors are like so, I mean, it's just transformative what dyslexia tutors can do. Absolutely. And that's a really good analogy. You know, I think it is, it's really about kind of helping people to become independent. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and it, whether it's a tutor or a mentor or someone that supports that person, uh, that can make a huge difference in, in just, you know, enabling them to sort of actually kind of find what, what works for them. Um, but that's a really good analogy. And uh, connected to that, I think one, one of the things in terms of driving, um, another kind of example of why someone might want to get a, a, a formal identification of dyslexia as an adult is uh, is uh, to sit the driving test. Um, so oh, really? It's, 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 yeah. Um, so that's another kind of example of a practical reason you sort of mentioned earlier. Why would someone... Um, you know, that, that, that there may be people, adults who say, well, okay, I think I might be dyslexic, but why do I actually want to know that? Or, you know, do I have to, um, go through, uh, the assessment process? Um, and, you know, it's a very important question and it's, you know, lots of people decide that they don't need to know. Um, uh, but there are some, you know, sort of reasons such as a driving test where someone might get support in a driving test to put them on that kind of level. Uh, playing what kind of support would there. you get in a driving well, you test? Might, it could be support for uh, the theory. Um, so the theory okay. uh, part of the exam. Um, uh, so it could be extra time, for example, or you know, kind of help uh, with um, it, if 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 it's a, a digital exam, you know, help help with that. Uh, or, you know, there's diff- different ways for to actually do the, the theory. 
Um, okay. But there are also examples um, of support that you might get in the actual exam, uh, the practical test as well. So uh, rights and lefts could be a, an issue. <laughs> Take a left and you're like, oh, hold on a minute. Can you point which way left is? No, no, I'm not going to point which way left is. You should know. And you're like, well, I'm just about to crash because I don't know which way to go. And you're going to judge it as hesitation. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that, and it's that kind of thing, which, you know, wow. the, the, you can definitely get kind of you know, sort support. Yeah. I've heard of people who have, have written or have got color coded on their hands. They know which is right and left. And, <laughs> you know, what Starboard, green and red. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wearing yeah. different colored gloves. And yeah, so oh, absolutely. Wow. These, these are things which, you know, uh, are often are not, not really, um, the automatic things that people might, might think of when they think of, uh, why someone might need to be, uh, or might might find a, a, an assessment helpful. Yes. Um, I mean, I could just picture that. Someone with a pair of gloves and an L on one glove and an R on the other gro- glove, and when it comes to left and right, they know which way to go. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Yeah. I remember teaching uh-huh. my daughter to drive, uh, dyslexic, 18 years mm-hmm. old, and it was just last year. And I think I don't think people quite realize, you know, that dyslexia isn't just about reading and writing. It's about yeah. processes, and you can simplify it down to often it's about um, needing to take processes down and chunk them down into smaller gears, as it were, mm-hmm. or smaller mm-hmm. steps, and to get used to moving through those transitions from one step to another much more intentionally and smoothly in order to get up to fifth gear, as it were. And I, I had literally had to do that with my daughter. She was struggling with her driving instructor. And I said, look, I'm dyslexic. I know what you're going through. And we had to just dial everything down really slowly. And instead of battering through the gearbox, it was a case of let's go slow, let's go smooth. And then from that smoothness, you'll build up speed. And now she's an incredibly competent driver, even at 18. She starts criticizing wow. me, of course. But, <laughs> but um, you can see it in those practical little things that if you're not dyslexic, you don't realize that that's a particular issue. But being dyslexic you re- or being aware of your dyslexia, you start going, yeah. ah, there's a process. Uh, in this, there's a stick shift maneuver that needs to be done. And it seems very small, but if you don't get that, you keep stalling. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's so important, as you say, sort of chunking that information and breaking it down so that the kind of whole, all the different elements of the processes are kind of understood, I think is just so important. And finding what makes that, uh, makes that the individual kind of get that particular kind of part of the process is, is, is so important. Um, I think that's one of the, the challenges that, you know, we, we often experience is that, you know, employers, teachers, uh, others who maybe have worked with people with dyslexia but not uh, intensively or not for a long time often want a, a, a sort of a, a one-size-fits-all approach or they want to you know a kind of blanket approach that works but as we know that 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 isn't the case you know you can, we yes. can give lots of different examples um, yes. but really it is it is very much um, an individual you know it, 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 what what works for one person may uh, not work for someone else and it's, it is about finding what what works for that that particular person um and, and giving guidance the guidance what i'm seeing here is a pattern so you've got the helpline and then you've got the information of the the websites 
then you've got the on-the-ground networks of people gathering together, and then you've got the tutors who can help you practically apply that knowledge and make it wisdom in your practical setting. You know, identify, ah, you've got a bit of an issue going from third gear to fourth gear in this particular mm -hmm. process or system. Let's work through that. Brilliant. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also our career coach and our Ah, volunteer okay. careers mentors um can also you know do, do kind of help with 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 that that side of things um connected to that um, one of the things that we we do um you know because it, it's very much uh, one of the things that we recognize as an organization is that um you know because we have you know we're, we're limited in what we can do um it's it's about trying to kind of build up other organizations and other individuals capacity to to help people with dyslexia as well so okay. some of the things that we also do is we we do dyslexia awareness training to a whole range of different organizations um we provide seminars and we provide conferences so as you'll know uh we run an education conference once a year um uh, with around about 300 teachers come along to that conference um and so you know those areas about trying to kind of um uh you know, share the learning about dyslexia uh, is 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 a very important part of what we do to able to enable others to be able to support people with dyslexia. Um, and uh, some examples of the kind of seminars we run is um, through our career coach. Um, uh, we have run um, seminars um, and workshops for um, people wanting to set up their own business. Um, people in the creative industries, for example. So just kind of giving, um, you know, people that kind of, um, I suppose that kind of extra kind of support to be able to kind of help them to actually then push forward in what, whatever it is they want to do. Um, so building up the capacity of individuals with dyslexia through these seminars, but also, uh, building up the capacity of the people who are working with them. Um, so that includes employers. We do, we've done quite a lot of dyslexia awareness sessions for organizations, um, and that can be tailored to particular needs that the organization has identified. Um, and we also work with, with organizations to help them kind of develop dyslexia-friendly practices in their work. Thinking through, there's listeners thinking just now, um, listening to this, and they're maybe attracted to this podcast because they're in Scotland or they've mm -hmm. got family in Scotland and they're thinking about their children. But what you're kind of doing is you're starting to get them to think maybe, first of all, if your child is dyslexic, then you might be dyslexic. Mm -hmm. And so it might be useful for you to get tested and um, find out how it's affecting your life. But in addition to that, they may also be an executive or a business owner, and they may have people in their responsibility who are dyslexic, not just in their own family, and could get an organization like yours in Scotland or the equivalent in um, America or Australia to come in and train that business to understand how dyslexia can be harnessed and compensated for. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that, that is very much a part of, of, of what we do. Um, our, our second aim is to influence national change, um, mm. national and local change. Um, and within that, it's, it's, it's about, uh, raising awareness, training, um, enabling people with dyslexia to have, have a voice in, 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 in what they do, but in also, um, 
in things that will affect people with dyslexia on a day-to-day basis. So, for example, um, we have been contacted recently from uh, the team at the Scottish Government who are working on the Scottish Census for 2021. Um, mm-hmm. And they were asking about the kind of barriers that someone with dyslexia might experience that might prevent them from being able to to, to, to take part in the census. Um, so every single person in Scotland, has every single adult in, in, in Scotland will need to, um, you know, fill in a census form uh, or every household. Um, so they're really... They're legally required to, aren't they? Yes. Yes, they are. Absolutely. So you, um, there's, you've got this so, ironic situation where you're legally obliged to and if you don't there's penalties but then they've identified that they may not be able to very easily yeah absolutely so it's things mm. like that where it's about trying to actually work with the the the, 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 the organizations the service providers who are providing information um yeah. to the public and one in ten of the public are likely to be dyslexic so you know it's about you know trying so part of what we're doing is about trying to influence others to make sure that you know what they provide is accessible and the services and the information they provide is accessible as well. Um, so that's quite a large part of the kind of I suppose the kind of national side of what we do. Um, uh, and uh, other things that we do uh, sort of connected to that is um, during Dyslexia Awareness Week every every year, which in Scotland is in November, the first week in November, we run a whole range of different events and activities and campaigns to try and um, raise awareness about dyslexia and get people talking about it and um, and making sure that people know where to go if they want to find out more. Um, okay. So that's a, a large part of our calendar each year. Uh, that reminds that. me, I was going to ask you while I had you, why is the Dyslexia Awareness Week different in Scotland than the International Awareness Day or Week? What's yeah, the it's difference? a very good Can question. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, the, the main reason is that um, the kind of World Dyslexia Day is in October. I think last okay. year it was the 4th of October. And yes. uh, Dyslexia Awareness Week was uh, in in October as well. And the main reason why we don't do uh, run run our events uh, during that week is because in Scotland, as you'll know, um, practically it, almost every single week in 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 October, it, it, there's a school holiday somewhere in the country. Oh, um, so right. we wouldn't be able to run events because um, we wouldn't. Be, a lot of the events we run. Uh, involve schools, um, so you'll right. you'll have heard, I'm sure, of Ellie's blue ri- ribbon campaign. Yes, I know um, Ellie. She's, uh, yeah, and you know Ellie absolutely. She's from Edinburgh. Um, she's from Edinburgh, and she was 12 when she started the campaign. Yeah. Um, and she's done amazingly well in uh, raising awareness. What started out with a campaign, and she wrote to the Disney Foundation to ask for money to buy some ribbons, uh, blue ribbons that she wanted people to wear during Dyslexia Awareness Week, um, because she herself was fed up with, um, you know, having to explain what dyslexia meant. Um, and uh, so after a couple of years, it. Uh, she, the, the branch in Edinburgh asked if this could be something that we could do on a national basis. So um, we have gone from, I think, in the first year, distributing around about 10,000 ribbons. And just November there, we distributed 50,000 uh, blue ribbons across Scotland. Yeah. Um, and well, many I need of to give a big shout schools. out to Victoria and Sheena, the local. I think it's Sheena's 
um, it Ellie's mum. Yeah, it is absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah they've, they've done the a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. And and a, and a big shout out to all the other volunteers in in Scotland who tirelessly organise all these groups and awareness raising and you know answering teach parents questions and so on it's incredible what what they do it is incredible absolutely i totally agree with you um you know we just couldn't do what we do without the, the huge amount of volunteers who who kind of work all year round um and you know sort of provide a fantastic and really important support um for parents and adults um and also we we have uh, volunteers who run the adult networks as well um which is a really, really important networks that meet regularly in Glasgow, Stirling, and Edinburgh. Um, I mean, you've really got so many different things there's, um, there's a, bubbling there's a lot, away. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of, of of what we do, and you know, if anyone wants to find out more, then I, I would just suggest they go onto our, our website. But um, one of the things that we that wouldn't, I'd quite like to, to mention a couple of things, if that's okay. One yeah. is that we have. Um, developed together with um, the Scottish Government and Education Scotland uh, a series of free online modules. Um, so there are three that were launched in the last couple of years for teachers. So they're free to do. Um, the basic one takes around about two hours to do. Um, and then they, they kind of increase in terms of their difficulty and their kind of levels. Um, so that anyone can do those. They're on our Open University website, but they're targeted at teachers. And then there's another module which we developed also with Education Scotland, which is specifically for anyone working with adults. Um, so again, if anyone wants them, the information is on our website, but it's another way for people to find out more about dyslexia and to, to skill themselves up. And then the Brilliant. second thing is that we have um, ambassadors and young ambassadors um, who Oh, of uh, course. We didn't mention with, them. Yeah, didn't mention them. And they, they do fantastic work um, in trying to kind of raise awareness about dyslexia in a whole range of different settings and challenging a lot of the myths that there are about dyslexia. Again, there's information about the young ambassadors who helped us to develop Dyslexia Unwrapped. So there's lots of videos um, on Dyslexia Unwrapped. And then there's information about the, uh, the other ambassadors who work with Jackie Stewart um, on our website. So just wanted to kind of give a shout out to them because um, they do a huge amount of work in, in raising awareness about dyslexia. Well, we've actually, we recorded Rachel Miller's talk to the education conference. She's one of the yes. youth youth ambassadors and you did an education yeah. conference a few months ago i recorded that and i put it onto this podcast so if anyone's sure. interested in hearing a, a young ambassador 16 17 year old talk about dyslexia and what a what a talk she gave that was really quite um inspiring and also yeah. just a tad you know um not scary but you know <laughs> there was a sort of there's a forcefulness which is like this really needs to change guys and she was teaching to really teaching 300 teachers in that room and and i know from being in that room that they were all seriously moved and and impressed by that so the young ambassadors and all the other talks are are there in the in the podcast as well so we'll link them here for anyone who 
who couldn't get to that conference because there's quite a lot about dysgraphia and um, dyslexic leadership and so on that was shared there. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're very lucky to have the young ambassadors and Rachel gave an amazing, amazing talk. And as you say, really did challenge the teachers there, I think, to to make changes, um, which was very inspiring to hear. Well, let's finish things off with a few of the other questions. We, I normally ask nine questions. You know, what, what was the beginning? <laughs> what was the so, so dyslexia Scotland so big in comparison to a regular person's story? <coughs> so um, we've covered, you know, where did it begin? What uh, was the, the, the stimulating moment that brought Dyslexia Scotland together? Jackie Stewart and then the, the challenges with so, expanding the scope to not just because one of the things I think in order to balance what you've just said is we've talked a lot about the 40% of work, as it were, the 40% of calls that come in about adults and so on. And, but you still do a heck of a lot in schools and with children and educationally, which is a lot of the obvious stuff that you do. So I just want to make that clear that, you know, I know we've majored on these, this more adult stuff, but that's just because you're trying to counterbalance the assumptions that it's just about the the childhood years. So I just want for any listeners to to know that, you know, that Dyslexia Scotland does an absolute ton in, in schools and so forth. So we've covered a lot of that and the rewards in many ways you, you've, we haven't really touched, you, the rewards are kind of the reward of Dyslexia Scotland is that you've got so many of these legacy things in place that were probably great ideas 10 years ago, but they've been accomplished now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's right. I think, I think seeing, seeing the change over that time um, and seeing how much more of a household name dyslexia is in terms of the kind of understanding of dyslexia um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a long way to go, obviously, still, but in terms of looking back and looking at the achievements of, um, you know, how dyslexia is, um, understood and, um, how much more widely talked about it is, um, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge reward, um, uh, as well as seeing, you know, that there's, that there's, there's a lot more services being provide, um, provided to, to dyslexic people, but, um, as with anything, it, it's an ongoing, um, it's an ongoing um, issue, and something that you know anyone who has dyslexia or anyone who's a parent is listening to this. Um, you know, I think you know the, the individual cases that people are still struggling with um, can and are so sort of frustrating. So you know, I think it is about getting that balance between knowing that there has been a huge amount of change. Um, but there's still a long way to go. Um, but if people do want support, they, they, sh- they, they you know, hopefully they'll, they'll know to come to us, uh, and to other organizations, um, to, 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 to get support and to start on that, on that journey. It's just been so great to hear, um, all that, that story of Dyslexia Scotland, Kathy. Thank you so much. Is there anything that, uh, obviously we are going to go through the, the transcript of this podcast and identify all of the links that you've mentioned and put them into this um the show notes eventually mm-hmm. so that anyone listening can just click through straight to what you're talking about um is there anything you would like to you know final word to anyone who's listening yeah i mean i think um if if any parent is listening to this and uh, you know is 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 new to dyslexia i think you know if you haven't already done so um please just start by looking at the website 
um, get in touch um, through our helpline or through our local groups. Um, and um, there's there's a whole range of information out there. Um, so you know, and there's lots of people there that can that have been through um, a, a similar similar journey. So I think just get in touch and ask for help, and don't be afraid to do that. Um, there's a huge amount of of, of support out there. Um, uh, and so just check on the website and check the helpline, and that's a good starting point. Um, but it, you know, that there are strengths and there's, there's challenges uh, for anyone with dyslexia. Um, but there is a huge amount of support out there. So I think that's that's the that's the main message I would give. Great, thank you, Kathy. So thank you, Kathy, for doing this. Thank you very much for for inviting us to to be to be part of, of the podcast. It's much appreciated. I'll probably see you at the next conference, Kathy. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you, Darius. Okay. See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. The show notes are at bulletmapstudio.com forward slash 32. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because... We give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.